It's Ask RVD seven days a week. No, I think because the, the stuff just stays up on Twitter or whatever. So they're like, hey, I got a good question. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, all right. Hey, everybody. This is Dominic D'Angelo. I'm on the Premier Streaming Network. I'm a VAD free shows and several other outlets, but I am here today with none other than Mr. Monday Night himself. He's almost every day of the week at this point. It is WWE Hall of Famer, Mr. Rob Van Dam. Rob, episode, I think it's 22, episode 22. Yes. Sounds like, uh, sounds about right, dude. I think that's uh, about one more after last week's 21st episode. So. I'm not too good at arithmetic. Maybe that's it. Well, whatever. Are you going to keep doing that forever, no matter what number one? <laughs> Should I? I can stop. <laughs> this will be our 73rd episode. 70, uh, episode 73, I believe, Rob. <laughs> I don't know, man. But yeah, uh, yeah but we're jamming. Uh, Numbers are going up of uh, people catching it, and I always enjoy their feedback and knowing that uh, people enjoy the show, you know, for, for more than one reason. Sometimes, right. it, yeah, if it really helps them out a lot and stuff because they get some uh, advice or some something they can add to their um, life process, and that's awesome. And otherwise, if they uh, laugh at your hilarious stories from being on the road, <laughs> one or the other <laughs> happening i tell you what people have been getting a real kick out of the samoa joe hot dog story so <laughs> put the hot dog down put the hot dog down yeah i'll always laugh at that one <laughs> well hey it should be a good one this week uh we're gonna do a little ask rob anything so we got a whole bunch of ask rvd questions coming up uh First, though, like uh, I haven't hit this in a little bit, but we're gonna let's look at a little feedback going on week here. Where is it at here? My cat is crying. I heard All right. that. Did you hear it? Razor's making some noise here. All right, feedback number one. Always loved all the singlets. Michael Hayes, LOL. Tie-dye gets the hell tie-dye, get the hell out of here. <laughs> so it's like Michael. Uh, so how was it overall? I, that, the reason I put that one up there is how was it overall working with Michael Hayes? And, uh, your relationship with him? Um, well, I, I guess just like with a lot of the office guys, you know, the the longer I had worked with them, the more I knew them, the older I got, the more I could appreciate them as just other flesh creatures trying to hold a job. You know what I mean? At first, they represent authority so it's a little different perspective um but then eventually you know it's like we're all uh we're all doing the same thing you know as adults uh, so um I, I i liked michael i don't remember ever having a specific uh problem with him if i did it I don't think I did. If I did, it must have just been some little disagreement over an opinion that washed off because um, I don't even remember. 
how was he overall with like talent and handling that and interacting with them pretty well? Did he get along with everybody pretty well? And was he pretty good with creative input when it comes to certain people and stuff? Or weren't you too much in that vicinity of it all, I guess? Um, I really don't know. I don't know how to answer that. Um, I don't know if I've seen him in his environment. Like if he's one of the guys, which I think he he was that yeah. sat that sat around the night's table, you know, and uh, pitched ideas and pitched who to push, who not to push, why to go this way, not the other way. I was never privy to any of those conversations, so I can only imagine using educated feedback, you know, like uh, Dreamer used to be in those meetings. So he would tell me uh, what was said in them. Uh, sometimes Paul, sometimes I would have a little insight as to who was really like against me or, or if anybody was, was for me or, or whatever. But outside of that though, um, to see all those people communicate with each other on that level was something that I never really wanted to do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't blame me either. It's just like, Hey, that's not my, yeah. <laughs> you don't want to get up, mixed up in all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Let me know once it gets, once the idea gets ironed out a little more and got something to present to me. You know? Right. Right. Yeah. I know there's a lot that goes into the politicking and egos and uh, favors and fear of job uh, validation and so much that it just really seems like it wouldn't be the place for me. Right. It's just a whole nother aspect. That's just like, and plus, yeah, in that kind of environment of like, not that it's that, I mean, it is a corporate environment, but also that aspect office. Of all kind of, yeah, office stuff. It's just a little, not, not your bag for sure. All right. Maybe you can tell me about, I don't know what this means. RVD is a effing Chad watching him fight big show in ECW was so bad. Uh, is Chad a term for something that I don't know? I, it is, but I don't know what it means. I've yeah. heard it before. But... Like, I've heard Chad almost be the thing that they call a Karen, but that doesn't make sense in this regard. So I don't know what the hell. Um, How'd you like working with Big Show? <laughs> uh, I loved working with Big Show. Yeah. You, I mean, yeah, what a self-made story that is. You know, anytime he's wrestling anybody, he's the big guy. He's the giant. It's the David and Goliath uh, um you know, uh, that you have to overcome the, the, it's obvious. It's just right there in your face. You know, how are you going to wrestle this giant? What are you going to do that is going to work? And how are you going to stay away from him getting a hold of you? Um, and, and I enjoyed that. I used to really like, I used to like running around the ring and making him, forcing him to really catch me, try and blow him up, you know, um, <laughs> He got better at that quick, though. It made it harder uh, when I <laughs> started wrestling every night. But um, you know, I, I I like I you know I like him and um, had some great matches with him. And I like the idea of you know let's pick a leg and uh, start chopping at it and try to try to use some psychology here to bring him down to his knees so he's my size. I like doing the jumping Superman punch on him. That uh, that was before the uh, the other guys were doing it. By the way, you know, I punch him, jump up, and punch him. And uh, Sabu was like, "Damn, I wish I would have thought of that." <laughs> but it just made sense. And you know, I remember 
one particular time, the hard hardcore match, because this would be probably the only time I use the fire extinguisher. But he, you know, he put I used to squirt him with the fire extinguisher and he put the chair up to block the fire extinguisher spray, and then I and then he got a Vandaminator, you know, oh, for his awesome. yeah. So you know, I always like being able to. Uh, to use the stuff wisely if it's there and try to make sense out of it. And normally you wouldn't have a fire extinguisher or believe it or not, a kitchen sink underneath the ring normally. No, no you don't find that stuff there. No. That's kind of interesting. You like those storytelling elements go into the play with that. Cause uh, my brother did a special episode of the Jake Roberts, Jake the snake podcast with Raven and Raven was talking about how that's such an important aspect of making a hardcore match stand out more is utilizing it in different manners to make it make sense. And uh, having like a fire extinguisher against somebody like the big show, but then him shielding it with the chair, it's like cool elements that you're adding to make those hardcore matches. Not just, Hey, I'm just fucking smacking somebody with a chair over and over. Like here's thumbtacks, you know, it's just like, There's those other elements, I think. That's yeah, because overall, when it, co- ouch, when it comes to, like, say, the death matches, which is kind of, I guess, what hardcore matches have become, it seems. Um, yeah, for a lot of it, yeah. Yeah, to, yeah, I think that's safe to say. Um, yeah. For a lot of it. Um, but they, they will probably always have the reputation of being storyless, pointless, and just... Uh, obligatory violence mm-hmm. yeah i mean that's a lot of times they are and a lot of times they are for people that don't have that much talent as wrestlers to call themselves wrestlers you know and i know a lot of people take offense to that and i and i there's a lot of fans of death matches um but even then i mean is there a difference between a good death match and a bad death match i would i would hope there's a difference i don't know there yeah i've I can't really, I mean, there's some that I've been, I've been kind of entertained by, but honestly, like my threshold for that kind of stuff is like, Hey, I can see one match and then I'm good for like a year. (laughs) You know, I don't need to see another one for a while. It's just like, I've got my fill and that was interesting, but I don't need to see it again for a while. So different strokes for different folks, I guess. But I like the storytelling aspects that come with hardcore matches that kind of make it fun. So um all right and a lot of what i've seen from the death matches the story is who's gonna get to that staple gun first yeah (laughs) yeah that's it too (laughs) but i look back at like when terry funk fought anita in the exploding c4 match and stuff like that in 94 but they made the story about like i don't want to touch that barbed wire like i don't want to get thrown into the ropes like stopping before you yeah yeah that was you saw the fear in both of them they didn't want to get entered like into that barbed wire so that's kind yeah. of the aspect so uh feedback would love to see about between you and edge and show them youngins a thing or two yeah th- how was it did you ever have like singles matches with edge before and stuff i'm trying to think about that yes i did and uh, always you know really good matches not that rvd has bad matches but um edge is definitely someone that's um excited about the opportunity uh, to, to work and bring in any creative input ideas uh, edges someone that's definitely motivated so similar to Christian in that way if I know I'm going to work either one of them I know they're going to 
be like thinking all kinds of stuff in their head already, uh, imagining it. And that's, that's, um, it's fun to work with guys like that. Right. And then it's like them growing up together. You kind of see that whole element of their love for wrestling, but it's also, they, they've kind of made their own path a lot of the ways in the business too. And it's, it's neat to see that. And, uh, that kind of generation also carry on that, like, alongside you know guys like you and guys like uh, matt hardy and jeff and all that stuff it's pretty pretty neat to all that see it's kind of in a lot of ways so yeah that'd be awesome yep. to work with edge absolutely absolutely you guys could tell a great story for sure um all right okay so this is uh we talked about maven so uh quentin beck seven seventy thirty five says oh please bring maven here on your podcast i'm sure maven rvd have a lot of catching up to do how much interaction have you had with maven um not a ton you know enough to you know stand stand with him a few minutes and hey man good seeing you um he was around you know i didn't travel with him and have a lot of adventures with him uh but he was someone that would be in conversation in the dressing room strangely um when i first started nairing in uh, 2001, when I went to WWE, because I just grew my hair out all over my body yeah. in ECW. And in 2001, like I started shaving. Um, and it was, uh, Maven was one of the guys that was telling me about Nair. It was Stevie Richards and Maven. I think Stevie got Maven on it, if I'm not mistaken. And they were telling me, dude, it's so easy. Just wipe this stuff all over, give it 10 minutes, and they just rinse off. And because I was cutting myself all over with the razor, doing a horrible so, Yeah, you're like legit shaving yourself. Like, I, yeah. yeah. Deep gaffs everywhere. Oh, wow. That's, I see the white skin. Those don't bleed for a couple of seconds. We're going <laughs> to, that, that's going to come out pretty soon and be bad. And then, uh, and leaving patches of hair everywhere, which never does anyway, but you learn. You learn where, where it's not going to work and uh, you can plan around that. But strangely, I connect Maven to the to those memories of when I was first uh, experimenting with Nair in the, in the showers at the arenas and those guys were telling me that that's the way to go. <laughs> well, does so Nair, if you leave it on for too long, doesn't it start burning you? Isn't that true? It does, but I don't care. Yeah. You know what I mean? Okay, yeah, it's not like it's not like oh my god, I gotta get this shit off me. It's not like that. No, I'll break out in a rash a lot of times or certain spots, like inside my uh, elbow, um, on the inside. Like it, for some reason, it always will break out in a rash there. So I just don't put it there. Yeah, and then I shave it. But my groin, like this sensitive skin there, for some reason, it breaks out in a rash there. And uh, if I leave it too long anywhere, my chest, stomach, I'll have like little red bumps, but I don't give a fuck. You know what I mean? It's there for a few days and then it goes away. Yeah. So I don't want <laughs> a, a rash, but um, it's better than not leaving it on long enough, going through all the trouble, rinsing it off and everything, and then finding out that you, you're still hairy because uh, you fucked it up and, didn't let it do its thing. Now, did somebody tell you when you went to WWE, like, hey, you should start doing this kind of thing? Or was it just like... Oh. No, it was it was something that I just wanted to do. The universe told me, and it was the right time to do it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Now, did any... When, when you were in ECW, was there a lot of ECW guys that would do that kind of stuff? Or was it just like, ah, fuck this? <laughs> no, I didn't really notice. Yeah. Uh, and one reason I wouldn't have noticed is because ECW did 
not as nice buildings and you wouldn't you wouldn't normally be in a dressing room with showers kind of environment Mm -hmm. if you're at the fucking jim thorpe bar that's sliding down the the mountain the mountainside (laughs) yeah you know and even yeah uh you know we did a lot of like armories or um yeah yeah i mean so it's a little different when you're in WWE and you're at a uh, convention center or a civic center and you're there all day long because you're doing promos in the daytime and some people got to get dressed at one o'clock to do vignettes and other people aren't getting dressed till seven, you know, but there's that interaction, everyone coming through. It's that, 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 that in itself is way different um, with ECW and with a lot of indie shows. Uh, as soon as the match is done, the guys leave. And I used to think like, Ooh, like how can they do that without showering? They got, the other guys sweat on them and all that. And it is nasty, but I get it um, because sometimes I'm in those kind of buildings and I'm like, I'm already gross. I'm going to be gross another 20 minutes till I get to my hotel room or whatever, you know, so yeah. be it. So be it. <laughs> I have to exist like this for a little bit. <laughs> other than everybody pile into one dirty little shower where the hot water probably doesn't work anyway. Yeah. You know. Oh, that's hard times right there. <laughs> yeah, no, save the nair for... You know, when you're in the hotel room or or home or something. Yeah, when you're certainly sure that you have some hot water cooking. Yeah, some of those buildings you don't even want to brush your teeth in. Oh, God, I could imagine. Jeez. Okay, so that was it for the feedback. Uh, What I wanted to cover here, too, was we do, like uh, we started weeks ago, was Somebody made mention of like, hey, the dream, like you talked about having, wanting to fight Mike Awesome. And then people started chiming in about like who they'd love to see you battle. So we've been, I wrote up a list of those comments that people made. So I figured we'd hit that again real quick. Uh, Somebody that somebody brought up in the comments section a while back was Kenny Omega. Uh, Obviously, he's one of the top stars, uh, modern stars, and has put on some amazing matches. And people can be a polarizing wrestler for some because of the style that he wrestles and certain things like that. But uh, how do you think you'd work with Kenny and uh, what do you think of him overall as a, as a wrestler and performer? I think that he's uh, very talented, obviously. And um, he has great matches that entertain uh, a lot of fans. And on the other side, I feel like he's representative of, the new culture of wrestling, which I will divide specifically by saying that I'm from a culture of wrestlers that wrestled in front of a crowd that believed what they were seeing was a shoot. And then the new culture is wrestlers that came up wrestling in front of a crowd that thinks it's a work. So they give them a work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, yeah, in the regards of, hey, the fans are in on this and I am kind of allowing that and they, they're aware of it. So it doesn't necessarily mean I can take some of the storytelling elements or the, the old school elements, the believable elements out of it. In certain ways. I mean, I, I feel like you're, you know, that, that's your that's your follow up. That's not putting those words. Yeah, that's, I'm not putting words in your mouth. I, for, me, it's, for me, it's not even the crowd being aware. It's more of just a perception that the crowd has and then the perception that the entertainer has. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then, in fact, the result that comes from that 
uh, being its true, real existence. You know, in other words, uh, back in the day, we slapped the shit out of each other hard because, you know, that's what that's what the style was for the crowd. But it wasn't about whether the crowd was in or not. We were really doing that because that's what we were doing. Likewise, wrestlers coming up now as fans, the, the, their perception is, hey, it's scripted. They're all working together. They come up, they get into it, they take over. They're working with fans that are even underneath them, another layer away from where we were um, prospectively. And I, and I see that, you know, the product and the end result that they give them is more of a manifestation of, of, of their thoughts of, of what it was. So, you know, go back to the Sheik that was uh, ahead of me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, 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 they beat the crap out of each other and they stabbed each other and they made each other bleed. And that was part of it. That was part of it, you know? Yeah. So yeah, just how, the style kind of lays out it's 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 a different way for it. I get that. Yeah, I mean how they felt about each other, whether they were buddies or hated each other or, or whatever, you know, ooh, big tongue and cheek, you know, oh, you know, I got the inside scoop, you know, like hey, big deal. They're performers, we're all performers, but 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 specifically when it comes to the style, um, you know, we always had an expression that we would describe somebody that was really good. You know, that would be the compliment that I would want someone to say if someone said, hey, you know, can can Rob Van Dam work? If, if if someone in the industry said, dude, he could have a he could have a fucking good match with a broomstick. That was a way to describe um, talent back then. However, we wouldn't want to actually have a match with a broomstick and show that we're having a match with a broomstick right right yeah it kind of exposes a little bit about what it is that you're doing when you're flipping and flopping and getting thrown around there i don't think the broomstick's doing it to you no the broomstick's not that's not that but you you hear about like hey rick flair can do that kind of stuff rick rude could do that stuff it's like that's the reputation but that's a huge compliment but you don't want to exemplify that to the fans i guess don't go out there and show everybody i don't know you know the invisible man match to me exposes a little bit you know i'm pretty sure sheik would have cut my throat (laughs) i want to do an invisible man match did you see the man wrestle a tent in the ring there was a wrestler that wrestled a tent he was like i think so yeah yeah i think that's part of that i saw enough of it anyway i saw enough of it you know what i want for me, <laughs> as open-minded as I am, you know, I have a certain perspective uh, about something that I've invested and spent my whole life doing. And so I'm going to be offended more than someone that's like, well, just look at it as our, you know, whatever. But I mean, for me, it's like, um, dude, I, 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 I want to choke him with the tent. Right. Yeah. It's... Wrap it around his throat and choke him. Yeah. So that's. <laughs> let's go camping <laughs> it's it but i mean it's just my um my beliefs you know we all have our own beliefs our own values of course but this is in something that if you don't think that i qualify to be a specialist in this field after all the years that i put in it and if you think that that doesn't change how qualified my opinion should be then you know you need to open up your own mind but 
looking at it from my perspective, um, you know, that's definitely not, that's not wrestling. I mean, okay, you can have a match with a tent. Can you have a match with Big Van Vader? Right, right. <laughs> that's the aspect. <laughs> that's what people should like want to see. A lot of people like. You know. I mean, he's dead. I just brought up a dead guy because I was just thinking about a really big, stiff motherfucker that would have, you know, broken that guy's face. Blast <laughs> right. in the corner. But would you want to fucking fight Bruiser Bruiser Brody? Like there you go, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. you can have a three-way. You in the tent. You and Bruiser Brody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a Boy Scout outfit on. He just fucking blew it. I know how that would end up. I think I know how that right. match turned up. I think I died would do. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool, Rob. Well, uh, as I ask every week, uh, did you watch wrestling this week? Um, I did not. No, I did not. Just just a few clips on social media again. Did you see the trailer for the Iron Claw movie by chance? No, I wanted to... I forgot about that. I didn't click play on it, but I did see the the post, and, yeah. um, and it caught my interest, yeah. It's um, really- it's about the Von Erichs, right? Yeah, about the Von Erichs, and uh, you know, Zac Efron plays uh, Kevin Von Erich, and then... Um, the guy from the bear that that cooking show or whatever he put he plays Carrie, and then um, there's a lot there's a lot of good other names in there too. It's a, the trailer was really good. It's like oh, I'll check it out, and uh, it's going to be at the theater. I saw. Yeah, yeah, December twenty second. I think it comes out to theater. Okay. Should be should be a fun one, man. Um, yeah, wanted to get your thoughts on that. Um, big talk of the week has been the NXT AEW Tuesday Night Battle. And, uh, you know, uh, NXT, WWE loaded up their card for that. Uh, Paul Heyman was there. John Cena was there. Cody Rhodes was there. And they ended up besting AEW in the ratings. Uh, people have been talking about that a lot. But I thought it was pretty fascinating because um, Paul Heyman was on the show, like I said, but he was interacting with The Rock's daughter, who's Ava Rain in NXT. And so he was talking to her about the bloodline. I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts in regards to Heyman. It's just he's... How good is he just w- interacting with talent and building the best out of pe- and bringing the best out of talent overall like that? Somebody like young, that uh, like the rock starter there, who's relatively new in the business and everything like that. You know, what elements can he kind of bring to, to a young talent that uh, really stands out about Paul? I, I believe uh, Paul could bring everything to the table and lay it all out for her. He has a great understanding not of just what to do, but why to do it. And you have to, to truly understand it. You know, if you're going to know, just to know, like, what the right thing to say is, in order to really understand that, you have to know why is that the right thing to say, you know. Same thing with the right thing to do, the right thing to act, the right people to talk to, whatever, you know, like everything, like there's a reason for everything, Um which is RVDology. It's crazy when people say, is there a reason you have to do this? Boom, 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 boom. Of course, everything has a reason. Absolutely. Um, I don't think there's an exception to that. I think there's a reason to everything. Um, But to understand, you know, that's like a whole nother level. And uh, Paul's very smart about the uh, about the business, about industry, about um, seeing everything all the way through, you know, so so that he can he can 
he can see the outcome and that's important sometimes when i'm acting mm-hmm. i'll be like in a group scene you know and we have our dialogue sometimes i will choose how to say a line and i'll just commit to it because it makes sense to me right so my line you know you we're talking and my line my line is um um I don't care, right? Boom, boom, boom. When it comes to me, I say it the way that I want to say it. I feel like that's my choice as an actor, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'll be like, I don't care. You know, boom, boom. Next time we do it again, maybe I'll say it again like that or I'll try it a little different. Like, I don't care, whatever. If, you know, we in between scenes or whatever, this happens so often. A director or even a veteran actor will come up to me and he'll just, just to help me out, he'll be like, Rob, that's just a throwaway line. Which means you just, boom, you don't, a throwaway line, you don't put any enunciation into it, you throw it out there, I don't care. Yeah. That's it. How does he know that's the right way to say it, though? Like, how does the director know? How does that experienced actor know? How the fuck do I not know? Like, what is it that I'm not getting? And that happens fairly often. Even as, as long as I've been acting, um, it's not odd for that to happen. Every once in a while, I come up and say, hey, that's just a throwaway line there. And I'm just like, they, they, they're able to see the outcome before, you know, it, the, the whole thing takes place. And that's something that I wish I had the, uh, the foresight to be able to do. If I could read a script and actually picture it like I already saw the movie, mm-hmm. that'd make everything so much easier, so much better um but instead you know until it comes together like i still don't see it all how it's going to be and everything um i'm not you know uh, a great natural actor like people that just have it and they just like i just need my chance to show it be discovered fuck no that's not me you know i'm i'm thankful for every opportunity i have but that's one thing you know to be completely honest and give full disclosure sometimes I I, I'm, I lack that ability to be able to see the whole thing as if it's already came out, visualize like this whole conversation already took place. And then they go into the, the, the other facts, you know, these people, they came from somewhere, you know, what were they doing? They're going somewhere, you know, where all this is on the actor's minds to make it really real. And, and sometimes, man, some of that will pass me by. And it's like, I feel like in order for someone to really be, valuable in the industry of wrestling or entertainment in the way that um our friend mr Heyman is that we're talking about right now he's very good at that at making the whole show around the visualize visualization that he's able to put together um and that's a fucking hell of a gift i think oh yeah and especially with wrestling too because it's such a big element of different characters and different elements that you bring into a sh- one show in particular. So I'm able to see, but like as a talent too, and that's, a, it's like, like you're not taking away from your own creativity of stuff, but it's just like being into him being able to step back and take a look at the whole picture of everything. It does take a unique mind for that kind of, you know, outlook to do. And, but in the same element, he can't do the stuff that you can do either. So he just knows how to implement it in other ways. So it's just- yeah, there's just, you know, it's all about there's the right choices and the wrong choices. And, you know, the more, the better you are at making all the right choices, the more valuable you are, you know? 
Yeah, I, I tell you what, too, putting Ava Rain and or at least even having her associate with Heyman is is good stuff. Like going on and sets a foundation and a tone for her moving forward in a lot of ways, you know. So pretty cool stuff. But um, uh, some something else that got talked about a lot was Tony Khan tweeting this week. Um, he uh, was very vocal on there, but I kind of wanted to get your perspective too because we've talked about social media on here and how it like how people just go out, like say stuff and people get caught up into it all. Um, your outlook overall, just with social media and wrestling, how is the good balance for it? Do you think uh, for talent specifically, I would say. I'm not sure I understand uh, what you're asking. Okay. So like, let's go by, say you are uh, like, obviously you're the a hall of famer. If you're a talent to that level, with social media and pro wrestling just in general, is there a certain way to handle it best that you think is ultimate for the wrestler themselves? Well, I mean, it's going to be circumstantial for the wrestler, their values, how much they want to be in touch with their fan base and the community. You know, the best would be, if you could just post and not even read people's stuff at all. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Then just you know, um, I remember when I went to WWE. One of my returns, I think it was the 2013 one, and um, the I had, I had just missed a um, a training session for Twitter that uh, the wrestlers had been put through. Oh, so they were talking about that and stuff, and a couple of the guys were telling me a couple of things. I can't remember what. But we were on our phones looking at it, talking about Twitter. And um, for some reason, Randy Orton came up. And then, boom, and I looked at his, and I was like, whoa, he's got 4 million followers, and he follows zero, or maybe followed one person or whatever. Oh, yeah. And they did jump, like, yeah, he, that, he didn't used to do that. He just unfollowed everybody because it makes him look good. <laughs> And I always remember it like, is that like a technique? Like, is that something that you do that somehow like gets the algorithm in your favor or something? Probably actually. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Cause I heard every time I follow someone that's got less followers than me, it brings my rating down, you know, but everyone's got less followers than me as far as fans. And um, anyway, it depends on what somebody wants. You know what I mean? Like it's, sometimes too accessible to be able to have back and forth conversation with people of a different intelligence level. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But then sometimes it's cool to be able to uh, be so in touch. So it just depends on, depends on what they want, you know, Um, any, any individual, what they want out of their relationship with the, uh, social, um, what do you call it? Social agency, <laughs> society. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's true. And to go back to RVDology too, I I remember you saying too that it's like I I can't remember what the aspect was, but you were necessarily saying that like, hey, you are you. Oh, it's uh, what was it? Like image almost is like or perception. I think it was. Where you were talking about like, hey, you're on there do- interacting and people know who you are. But a lot of these fans that interact and like say what they want, they don't really have anything to lose. You know, they like they can just say whatever. They don't have to have their picture on there. It's like 
there's that other element of, hey, how do people perceive you and all that kind of aspect. So it's like, yeah, that balance too for a talent and or a celebrity for that matter. Whoever. No, that's the, no, that, yeah, that, that that's very true. When I'm on uh, Twitter and I say something and post it, I'm not like everybody else that has no consequences to what yeah. they say because I have to be accountable because I'm a public figure. Yeah, so you know, if I say uh, I hate. That's going to come back on me. You know, you, the listener, you can say that nobody cares. You know, you only have three friends anyway. And <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it, I'm just saying pers perspectively, I'm, I'm just saying, or not perspectively, but um, um, proportionally. Yeah. I'm just saying, you know, like whatever group of uh, people you have that are going to hold you responsible for things that you say, uh, most people either have burner accounts where they just switch it anyway so they control people uh, or close to it. And they don't have to care about what they say. They can say things without thinking. For me, when I post it, it for me, it's like putting a public post up somewhere. That's how I feel like I'm doing. Like I'm buying a marquee or a big billboard and I'm putting my thoughts on there. So then when someone challenges it, uh, then, then, I'll, then, you know, I get a little defensive, especially when they're so wrong and they're accusing me of being wrong or of lying or of, uh, uh or of having any kind of, um, indecent intentions for what I said, because they don't understand it. And so for me, it's like, no, when I go through something like that, because I'm accountable, I'm standing behind what I said. And I'm not saying I won't admit if I'm wrong, but for most people, though, it doesn't matter. You accuse, you say, what? You're saying I did that? Show me where I, where, why, where would you even get that from? And then I just yeah. disappear. Then what? You then know? what? Yeah, there's nothing. It's like, right. Some celebrities don't know that enough, you know, and especially like with the OnlyFans, you know, I know that, because uh, um, uh, Katie has a lot of uh, friends uh, that do like the OnlyFans and, and she'll, she'll tell me all the time, like they get way too personal. Like they'll, they'll post on there, guys, I'm, I'm feeling snotty and having my period today. So I promise I'll post some more content tomorrow. Dude, you're going to be, <laughs> you're accountable for that. You don't want yeah. that to be linking those to, to you as the image that you are, you know, and I don't know. It's, it's all about, like I said, making the right choices. Right, 100%. Mm -hmm. And yeah, to your point too, it is circumstantial because if you're a new up and coming talent trying to get your name out there, it's like you might handle social media a little bit differently than say Rob Van Dam or like, you know, or Randy Orton, you know, or it's just like, that's all it all. Blows. Hey, you know, I mean, and by the way, of course I don't hate but, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I mean, you know, you can be like Val Venus and be like really into your principles and, and it's important to you to spread the message of tyranny and conspiracy um or you could be like uh, someone that's like uh, hey you know i just want to get myself over and, and, and put neutral comments out there to try to not get any polarizing opinions uh going against me and and, and then you play soft like that and that's that's cool too you know i tend to not be real soft because I stand by things that, that I believe in. And even though I know that could turn off a, a lot of people that don't share the same beliefs with me, but it must be important uh, to me that I get, get that out there when I can. So that's, you know, social media is uh, putting you in connection with 
people that want to follow you, whether they're your peers or fans or family or all the above, uh, people want to contact you. So um, if someone's just starting out with that, I'd say, where the hell you been? That's what I'd ask. Right, right. And hey, there's a, there's always a, a balance of, hey, too much is too too much. And then there's too little. Maybe like there's always just a balance. So. All right. So it's time for some Ask RVD. I did a whole bunch of screenshots. And I did do try to do the caveat of like, hey, Rob, favorites changes. <laughs> if you want to smoke with them, it's hard for that to happen over social media. And then, uh, yeah, smoke it up. Um, otherwise, singlets we have talked about. Everybody keeps asking about that. <laughs> What's your favorite singlet? All that stuff. So I tried to pick and choose them. So we'll we'll go through a few of these here. Like something something that I saw. Um, I did a I did an interview with Bill Apter, yeah. and it, it's come out in several parts this week. And I was looking at one uh, today, and um, a couple of the fans said that my half of my mouth doesn't move. I I must have had a stroke. <laughs> so, <laughs> and yeah, and looking at it, I'm like. One of my, I do talk out of like one side of my mouth more than the other one, you know. <laughs> Dude, what, look at me. <laughs> so you're fragile, you're uh, overweight. Um, what was the other thing we had too happening? There was something else. Oh, bad lungs, and uh, you might have a stroke. <laughs> got, I got CTE. Oh, CTE. So much stuff. Uh, the weed is killing you. <laughs> I don't know. A lot going on over here. A lot happening with Rob here. All right. All right. So I don't know what the, I picked them. I screenshot them. I don't have them titled, so I don't know what they say. So I'll just pop them up, and we'll see what, what happens. Oh, geez. Okay. Tom talks rubbish here. Does RVD think Dom has what it takes to wrestle? <laughs> Do I have what it takes, Rob? Uh, no. No. I agree. <laughs> I agree. All right. Next one. Sanel Waznik says, sir, what is your daily exercise resume to keep you athletic? Love from India. Sir, do you have a set routine that you do or do you mix it up a lot? Yeah, I mix it up. I mix it up. Uh, I, I stretch and that's its own thing. And I uh, lift weights and that's its own thing. And I do cardio and that is its own thing as well. And then um, that's as far as exercise, you know, diet, of course, rest is a big part of the whole um, package. But um, I, when I do cardio, um, I mix, I do mix it up, but something that I do uh, that I stick to as a foundation a lot of times, and then we'll add a little to it here or there, but I have, uh, you know, the plastic stack of steps and I have that in my sauna and I will do um, uh, steps in my sauna and um, I, uh, I'm always switch, throwing the number around or whatever. But currently, though, um, when I hit uh, 300, then, then I'm good. Uh, 300 steps, which I can do in sets of 50 or I can do uh, sets of uh, 15 or whatever. I can do a fast, slow um, and, you know, mix it all up, go all the way through or break it all up. And that's all up to me. And I like to have my, uh, my sauna gets hotter the longer that I'm in it. Cause I turn it on and then, 
and then you know as i'm in it it heats up so this time of year because it's cooled down a lot now it's uh closer to 80 for the first couple minutes but then by the time i'm out it'll be closer to uh 140 or a little bit above (laughs) damn how long does that take you to do typically too when you do that 10 minutes oh that's it okay wow yeah yeah, I also have a speed bag in my sauna, oh. but I but I have to replace the uh, inner tube in it because the other one has a hole in it, and I have the new tube, but it's a pain in the ass lacing the speed bag back up. At least I think it's going to be, and um, also sometimes I'll when I'm motivated I'll do like burpees or whatever. I took the bench out of my sauna so that I can stretch and have, have room in there. Mm-hmm. And that's something like that's, that's almost an everyday or um, when I'm, when I'm home and work out, I like to end it in the sauna. Cause it's just, you know, pouring sweat um, guaranteed pretty much every time. And sometimes I do kicks in there or whatever. I got this one thing. It's like a little rubber band with a ball. You put everything on your head and you punch it and it like moves, you know, it like bounces. Yeah, what's it called? A, not a bozu ball, because that's something else, but some name that sounds like that. A, a brecker, brecker ball, maybe something like that. But um, it's pretty cool. Like, I think I'm going to buy those as gifts for, <laughs> for other people because it's frustrating at first because, like, how do they make it look so easy on you on the video? But then you get to hang up. Motherfucker. Yeah, get the hang of it. Because the depth of it, because it's yeah. coming like from your almost your eye, and then, yeah. you know, but you 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 call it, you fight you punch short and you hit the string, and then it wraps around your fucking head and pisses you off. Fuck. It's like the paddle <laughs> ball or whatever. Yeah. Um. What? Like, how do you break up your muscle groups when you work out? Like, uh, when you weightlift and stuff like that, do you separate them by uh, like, I, like the me being the amateur, I just do back and buys one day, then like by uh, tries and chest. Is there a certain aspect that you do that's different? Or I, no, I might do just what you said. You know, one one time and the next time, I might do uh chest all by itself and uh, and now i've fucked up the whole thing so the next day i'll do back and tries you know and and then shoulders and buys and i i'll mix it all up and stuff all the time so i don't really stick to anything and usually i go by uh, whatever i feel like and there's always like a day one when i have been out of town or something and uh come back home and i and i feel like i could start fresh whatever because it's probably been, who knows, two to four days maybe uh, since I've been in my gym. So then I'll, what do I feel like working out? You know, I really feel like getting a good bicep workout. I feel like doing bicep and chest today. Fuck it, that's what I'm going to do. And um, and then I'll, day one kind of sets it up to like after I do whatever I feel like on day one, then I got whatever I got left. Yeah, yeah. And then you just roll it from there. That makes sense. Yeah. All right. Next up. Duarte French says, your moves are so utterly spectacular. Seems like elements of geometry and the forward movement of inertia physics are involved. I'm quite serious. My question stems from the foregoing. How do you calculate your move with such precision, always in awe watching you in the ring? Is there certain things that you kind of keep in mind, Rob, when it comes to that stuff? Or it's just, that's kind of, you built the foundation when you were younger doing all that. Um... You know, I, I, for the most part, it, it, 
maybe it is being one with energy because I thought about that recently, looking at jumping off the top rope and hitting a frog splash out of the middle of the ring. And I thought about it and I was like, you know, I don't put as much thought into it as you would think to make sure that I cover just the distance. I don't go, you know, 18 inches too far or 18 inches, you know, too, too, too light, which once in a great while I, I have done usually after getting knocked in the head and, and, and I'm loopy uh, spinning. But, um, but for the most part though, it's just, yeah, just kind of bam, like, uh, feeling the pathway, I guess, as I'm going, which has to start with the jump. So a lot of that is, I guess, just being in there and, uh, you know, we call this ring awareness. When you first start your career, uh, I guess, at that point of it, you have to be in the ring enough to know without turning around, you know how far back the rope is just based on what you see in front of you and peripherally and all of that just makes so much sense after a while that, that it's second nature. You don't have to think about it. It's like instinctive. I think that's the answer to how to land a Van Terminator, a five-star frog splash, uh, certain things like that. Certain moves though do take some calculating before I do the Van Daminator. I am, conscious of how much I'm cocking my kicking foot because if I if I don't cock it in enough then I might extend it too early and thereby miss the target or have to swing the kick to brush by the target and not kicking it exactly how I want to so I think about that exact motion and visualize with inside feeling how it feels with those muscles flexing firing jumping spinning kicking all of that i do go through on something like that a lot of times on a rolling thunder it's about where i jump that's inconsistent i jump sometimes uh and i'm like a, a foot earlier than i am on other times and so sometimes i'll jump up and my ass will just hit someone right in their face <laughs> bam <laughs> and then other times it's like i almost pass him like a swanton you know and like my upper body hits him and ideally i'd rather be like in between but but that one i, I feel like that one's fairly inconsistent um i feel like uh, once i start my role um i don't know if the tuck is different at different times, uh, but it, it seems like that's the factor that, that it's that, that it's the tuck. And sometimes when I start the tuck, I'm already thinking, "Oh God, I don't have room to do this. My heels are going to hit him. Like I'm too close. The ring's too small. He's too much in the center." And, and so then I have those thoughts going against me already sometimes. And then uh, and that that keeps me from committing, going all the way through, at least to an extent, which can hurt it can hurt the jump even if it was going to be clear anyway it could be not as good as it would have been just because i'm working against myself there so that's that's a lot of insight to share with you right there well how about that yeah. i was going to ask you too when you're doing the rolling thunder is there a moment too when you kind of realize like oh this is not going to be as good as i think it was or like it and then it turns out that way or is there a moment or because it, it sounds like it is kind of like hey you know you're going by it and the moment happens and you might not be aware of it but are you aware of it at a certain point where you're like it's not going to be a good one 
it's it's inconsistent. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's not it's not so much about not being a good, not being not being as good or whatever. But sometimes, like I'll see that I'm gonna land right on his face. You know, and I'll go ahead and bridge and distribute my weight so that um, I'm not gonna break his nose. Yeah. Um, um, sometimes you know like I, I think i talked about this before but like when i was an impact the first time around like 2010 11 12 i got to where i would roll and i would jump up and i would hit the thumbs and i would try to pause and then tuck real quick and and i started like landing like bam on the back of my head like right on the guy and uh after doing that a few times then, then i gave that up um, but I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know until I hit because it's like, you know, I'm tucking with everything I got, trying hard as I can to, to roll. Sometimes I would make it. And then other times I'm like, damn, maybe I didn't tuck soon enough or I thought that I was at the height of my jump too late or I don't know. But I think overall that the rolling thunder is always uh, fairly inconsistent for 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 me because um, – as long as I can remember doing it, even back in ECW when Sabu would jump over the top rope and do the leg drop to the guy at the same time. Obviously, I couldn't hit his face because Sabu had from his neck up, so I'd have to aim uh, lower. But, I mean, sometimes I'd hit him in his, on his legs, you know, sometimes his chest, whatever. Sometimes my legs hit the ropes. and uh, <laughs> but, I, I, but I like that. It adds a lot of action to it. And that's the thing, too, is like with wrestling – it's gonna be rough. It's supposed to look rough, so you're not gonna like if you hit the legs. It's kind of not that big of a deal because it's just like I'm not oh, trying to look like a gymnast because I'm right? not. And it's not gonna be picture perfect. It's like yeah. not supposed to be ballet. So, all right. Next up, be more awesome says Ask RVD. What are your top five cities to wrestle in? Hoping Baltimore is one of them. I d- don't necessarily have to name five, Rob, but is there some certain cities that stand out to you that you like to go to? Um. I think, well, Philly's got to be up yeah. there. Philly, New York City. Um, might have to put Battle Creek on there. I don't know. Um, it's cool to go to some cities, and I don't necessarily think about the wrestling as much as just a cool place to go. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Las Vegas, before I moved here, now it's home, so that's super easy. L.A., cool place to go to. I always like going to New York City. Like, that's always a treat, and I always try to stay uh, an extra day or two and just hang out and uh, absorb the vibe. It's totally different. It's a different vibe. I know a lot of people from New York City don't like being on the West Coast, and I get that because it's so different, you know, that I can see where they wouldn't be comfortable. But, um, you know, if I'm really thinking about it, gee, um, Honolulu was a pretty cool city to to wrestle in. Um, you know, a lot of the Canary Islands, Aruba, you know, um, there's, there's Jamaica. Well, I want to take you. But <laughs> some pretty cool places I can throw out there like that that were cool places to go to wrestle, but not necessarily because of the the wrestling crowds. But uh, with Philly, though, Philly and New York City, it is a lot about the crowd. Passionate fan base there. Um, in Baltimore. There you go. I was going to ask. Yeah, I was going to follow up with that for the fan there. Um, for Jimmy Seafood. 
yeah, for Jimmy's seafood. Oh man, Jimmy's seafood is great. I had I had the crab cakes I think once, but uh, I want to go back. <laughs> all the, all wrestlers go there. Yeah, oh, I'm not I'm not much of a seafood eater, but they have a lot of good food. Anyway. Yeah, neither am I. But that stuff was good. Um, what was else? Oh. New York City. Did you like wrestling in Madison Square Garden? Did that feel different to you? Was that felt like a big deal? How did that kind of feel when you were able to do that kind of aspect? Because you hear about that all the time. It's like the mecca for WWE and all that kind of thing. Yeah, I think I I'm gonna get heat for not sharing that opinion. You know, sure, like, it was. But I get it though. Yeah. Yeah. What I remember from it was that the dressing room was overcrowded. I think there's like one toilet for everybody to use. You oh. know in the hallway even maybe um and i just remember being uh being overcrowded and i loved being in the city and in the energy and everything but i remember specifically feeling like i was one of the only ones that didn't have that super mark out nostalgia vibe going so i felt a little a little left out of the of the squadron. <laughs> I think Nash said on his podcast it was like impossible to get a cup of coffee there. That was a big aspect in Madison Square Garden. Tough to find coffee. And one shitter. That's it. Just the way I remember it, you know. Right now, uh, yeah. you know, maybe one in each dressing room, and there might have been two dressing rooms. But sometimes you'd be surprised, even at a big you know, multi-million dollar production like that, you'd be surprised at how many rooms are so small, you just got to drop your bag off and then leave. And only a couple people at a time can actually get dressed and they got to go to make room for other people. And I remember MSG being like that. Wow. Yeah. So, so a lot of times, you know, I always felt like, you know, the flesh peddlers are probably laughing at us and, and what we do and what we do it for, you know, the conditions they put us under and what we are doing as what we're doing to ourselves as jobs and, and for the compensation that the flesh peddlers are probably laughing at because they're the ones that are making the money. And I've always had that perspective and MSG is one of those buildings that, that really puts me back into that mindset where I yeah. thought, it's not about it's not about taking care of us it's about them making money that's how i felt you know i mean i mean watch somebody say what are you talking about they had the best biggest best not not the way i remember it <laughs> not what i recall the way i remember it being is is just you know like i said you gotta step over everybody's bag and uh, but everyone else is stoked to be there so. yeah yeah like the, the historic historic element that comes to it maybe is just stand stand out to some but i get it too it's like if you're there and you're like in the thick of the locker room and it's not that there's just not the appealing aspects of it <laughs> I, I don't blame him real in that way <laughs> all right aj and if balls is in the building he's already peed all over the toilet seat anyway yeah right so and that's one toilet that you got that's it hey we're fine <laughs> what are you gonna do somebody has somebody's sorry balls on the seat. I was a thing at one time, like there was a meeting about that. So. <laughs> Pod to pull everybody aside. Don't want to name any names here, but who's ever pissing on the seat? It happened when ECW was just brought back to WWE. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, but they used to have meetings more regularly and stuff around that time. But that was brought up one time was that somebody 
was pissing all over the toilet seats and they figured it was one of the new ECW guys because all these new guys had just jumped aboard. This was a new problem, you know, and uh, pretty soon everyone was pointing their fingers at one guy. One guy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, geez. Poor balls. Dang it. AJ asks, do you believe secondary titles can can be looked at as world titles the way you elevate the TV title in ECW? I think that's always kind of a possible element to it because, I mean, look at what you did for the TV title. Look at what several other wrestlers did for, like, Intercontinental title. I think that's still a viable thing today in wrestling. I would imagine it would be more about the that particular championship reign. Mm-hmm. The ECW television championship reign that I had was the best wrestling in ECW ever. Not subjectively. Fact. <laughs> Factual. Yeah. Um, but with a certain percentage of the crowd, they're always going to look at the company's heavyweight championship as the big one. There's going to be a certain part of the crowd that's always going to have that mindset, I believe, regardless. Right. Uh, somebody, I didn't screenshot this one, but somebody asked, I believe, too, do you consider yourself the, a triple crown champion ECW after winning it 2016 overall? I mean, I don't see why not, right? Uh... I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't consider myself a triple crown champion. Maybe I should. Let's see. Um, because of impact, I guess. Is that well, the... I think they're talking about ECW specifically because you East... won a world title. You won a TV oh. title and then you want a tag. So that's what I was thinking that they meant. If they meant that, then wouldn't I have to have them all at the same time? No, I don't think so. Well, that's a good question. I think a triple crown champion would be someone that's reigning. You hold them out at the same time? Yeah, like I did have the TV title and the tag belts at the same time. I was a right. double crown champion. Mm-hmm. Several times in my career. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hardcore Intercontinental, too. All that stuff. Interesting. Boom, boom. <laughs> um, but so, yeah, I think uh, if I had the ECW title and the WWE title at the same time, that's, I guess, as far as that one goes. So, yeah, yeah maybe we don't understand it. And that's, uh, but no, I don't consider myself that. Maybe I should. Yeah, I didn't, I never really thought about it until. Not considering, considering myself that. Yeah. I'm just going to start calling you that every time we intro the podcast now. Triple Crown Champ, Robbie the Barber Beefcake. There we go. <laughs> uh, Francis Reyes says, any fun UK stories you can share? How's your time over in the UK, Rob? I've had uh, a lot of fun in the UK. I've had a lot of trips in the UK. Um, man, the one that just popped in my head, was this the UK? Because it was with the the promoter from Portugal, uh, my friend. Uh, but this, let me see, from, uh, from the UK, let's see. Um, I was in the UK recently, we were in Scotland, and we went to Ireland, even though I missed the signing, uh, 
I sucked. That was like the second or third time I've done that. I think I've done that once since then. Didn't I do that recently or almost did? Or... Ireland went or like. Yeah, well, never mind. Let's not bring that up right now anyway. Okay. <laughs> like, it really sticks out of my mind if I can't remember. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, well, I, I'm just thinking, the, you know, um, fuck, so many. We told that story about the coffin match that was in the that was in the UK. Oh yeah. Um, let's see. The guy from Ireland, uh, Joey, used to book us all the time and book us all around. Rikishi booked us all around Spain and Italy. Had some great uh, great times over there. Um, this, you know, when they said funny story, I just don't know what. This was in Spain, I think. Mm-hmm. I don't think Spain is part of the UK, actually. No, it's not, but it's Europe, so. But um, it was, okay, yeah. But we just crossed the border. We weren't in Spain. I think we were in, I don't know if we were in Portugal. I think we were in Portugal and we crossed the border to go to Spain because there was a McDonald's that was open. It was, the only <laughs> thing that was, it was the only thing that was open that we could find. It was after the matches. And... uh just like I was talking about before, it was one of those buildings where you don't have a five-star fucking uh, sh- shower situation there. So um, we went to McDonald's. We're all starving. We told the promoter, get us some food. We're starving. We went, and McDonald's said they were closed to come inside. Only the drive through was open. So... Um, all of us wrestlers went and stood in the drive-thru. And uh, what makes it extra funny is that we all had our wrestling gear on. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm standing there with my shin pads full, everything, behind Sabu and behind, you know, everybody with a car in front of our group and a car behind our group, just, you know, laughing at us or whatever. Till it was our turn to go up to the window and be like, oh, take a... Classic Royale with cheese. And um, it, it, I have that videotaped on one of my RBD TV episodes. Good, do you? Yeah. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> oh, man. I remember one time um, Rene Dupree and myself were up in uh, my motel room. And uh, he was uh, he was just starting to smoke with me a little bit. And um, this was in WWE, but we were in the UK. Uh, okay. Where are we at? Um, are we in Ireland? We might be in Ireland, which Ireland, Ireland isn't the UK. No, Ireland yeah, is Ireland's UK. UK. North Ireland also, or are they different? Anyway. I believe they're both there. I think okay. Just... The currency is different in North Ireland. And I don't I, I oh, thought. Okay. Uh, anyway, um, God dang it. I don't know why I think we're in the in Ireland, but we're somewhere in the UK and we're in the room and um and I'm talking to Renee in my room and lit this joint up and we're and um <laughs> and he's he's a young boy. I mean he's probably nineteen twenty, he was a really young and, and scared and trying not to get heat or whatever. But um our my smoke detector went off, right? Uh-huh. And and when it did that, I thought, oh fuck, you know, let me get this because it happened earlier in the day too. Yeah. You know, then I just set the joint down. I got the towel, started fanning it off. You know, I was like, eh, 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 
you know, and it stopped. And I, and I started saying, you know, yeah, that fucking happened earlier. And I turned around and Renee was gone. <laughs> <laughs> he fucking boom, like he split. As soon as the thing went off, he was out of there. And uh, it was so funny because I didn't see him again. And like, uh, it was like an hour or two later, uh, my phone rang in my room and Renee was whispering, are you okay? <laughs> I said, huh? are you okay? Yeah, dude, what'd you do, man? I just fanned it off and only took a second. It, as long as you're okay. <laughs> that was so funny. Yeah. And on the bus, um, we heard a couple other guys. Uh, Velvinus was one of them, I think. And, and two other people that smoked that thought they set it off. They thought they set it off. They really? were yeah, they were in somebody's bathroom and it went off uh, at the same at the same time, you know. <laughs> I never I never told them that was me, but yeah. Uh, I can't remember who that was. X Pac, probably Velvinus and somebody. Was Godfather on that trip? I don't remember doing it with him, but it seems like it was him. Anyway, uh that was a pretty funny, uh pretty funny thing because uh they were talking about it at the breakfast buffet with all the wrestlers the next day, you know. Anybody get to sleep with that smoke with that fire alarm last night? Jesus Christ. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so I've heard that Sean Waltman has the best weed a lot of the times. Is that true? Dude, everyone says they got the best weed. I guess that's fair. Isn't it all the same? Aren't we getting it from the same places? Right, right. <laughs> all right, next up. Mike says, Mod Third, do you believe WWE made a mistake not having you beat Austin for the belt in 2001? Seemed like the audience was ready for that moment due to the connection you quickly made with them. I mean, Rob, we've talked about before, you were pretty damn hot going into the, the invasion angle. Not only did you have the match with Jeff, the hardcore title match with Jeff, but we rewatched some of that angle with you and Austin and you were hot there too. Do you think they missed messed up or who do you think that was the right time to put the rocket on your back, so to speak? No, I don't think they made a mistake. I think that uh, they probably made millions and millions of dollars off continuing to push uh, Steve Austin. You know, it would have been great for my story and for my pathway. Sure. But that is a pretty uh, basic thinker's way for me to uh, to look at it, just how it would affect me. And uh, overall, who am I to say what? You want me to say, uh, I guarantee I would have sold more tickets than Don't Call Steve Austin? Fuck that. Where's the, where's the record on that, you know? Yeah. And you know what, too? It's like... The fact that you were working in that program, it doesn't necessarily mean that you had to have won the title. It just means like you were up there and uh, it would have been, cool. been cool, but yeah. it would have been great. But like they could always came back to it too. And eventually you, they did come back to you get the title. So true. And that time I had, uh, it was a lot better for me because I changed the entire playing field by bringing ECW back. And then being the best representative to show uh, how fucking good ECW could be. So when I uh, got my next shot at the championship, I was on fire. Way more comfortable with my position in the industry than I was back when I was doing 
um, three man matches with Kurt Angle and Steve Austin and, you know, uh, wondering what they were doing with me. Exactly. Yeah. And the fact is too, it's like you had that ECW fan base growing back up and heating back up. And on top of it too, you had the element of like John Cena being like this, um, voice scout of a baby face in certain ways. And it's just like that, those differences, you had those coming into play too. It's a perfect storm in a lot of ways. And, and, And let's face it. Like after so many years, I mean, I came in in 2001, right. Right, and yeah. we, we didn't get the uh, ECW cook until was it two thousand six five right? Well, well, first one I mean, basically, that's five years of extreme oppression. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. For for me, for all the fans that loved ECW, we felt that oppression, and it was just like the ECW uh, one night stand was a chance to release all that tension that was built up and, and, and our express how we felt about that. And so, man, there was so much going into that that represented um, all of that, not just a third brand. Right. right. No, it was, there was a lot more elements that uh, paid off for fans, paid off for you guys. It, it was really a, honestly a perfect storm. It was very yeah. exciting time too. So uh, cool. Yes. Do a few more of these. Let's see here. Boba Fetty Walk. Oh, that's a good name. Boba Fetty Walk. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> What's the craziest idea for a match or pitch that never made it to the public while at ECW? Is there something wild that you remember, Rob, that was just like, whoa, I can't believe we pitched that and it didn't come to fruition? <laughs> I mean, ECW was crazy and it's to do a lot of stuff, but there's yeah, stuff that right. Um, Man, I'm trying to trying to think mm, I'm scanning through my memories and um, I don't know I, I'm sure outside of my own pathway that there was probably matches in Tommy Dreamer's career there that were suggested and turned down he would have been someone that would have been more on the creative input side of giving a fuck and wanting to uh, express himself in those ways. I can't think myself of any, nothing, nothing that comes to mind, you know, like it would, um, if there's something that's hidden in there pretty deep. Yeah. Is there like a certain veteran talent that maybe came in that were like, Hey, let's incorporate him into this. Like, uh, I know, like, it's kind of wild to think. Like, we, I remember Rick Rude being in there, and Bam Bam, obviously, and Jake Snake made appearances. Anybody like that kind of stand out and be like, "Whoa, they had this idea, and this never happened." You know. Mm-hmm. How about RVD versus Jesse James? Ooh. That match never happened. That was an idea. Really. That was when I left, when I left the the, the, the WWE invasion. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Brian, Brian Armstrong. Yeah, I was supposed to yeah. wrestle him. And then uh, and then we packed up in, uh, in Amscrade out the back door. But Am on screen. <laughs> there's one idea for a match that didn't happen that comes to mind. Yeah, there you go. I remember for a while, it seems like we were doing more and more out in the parking lot, you know, it seems like it must've been the first year I was in ECW, maybe the second year, definitely towards 
the, the newer part where that whole style and area of the country was was new to me but it seemed like every week we'd be going out to the parking lot and fighting like between the cars and stuff and more and more and then there was like ideas sometimes out there of stupid things you know moonsaulting off the cars and stuff but but you just do it you know it's not like something you really talk about uh, or have to and um and then i remember like they caught some of it on tv on the um on the, on the early ECW TV uh, programs. And then uh, it, seemed to, it seemed to go away, like almost like we grew to a point to where we should keep our show inside. I don't know if somebody or something unintentionally got damaged outside, but that was really weird for a while. I remember that that was part of the, not just, not just taking a walk through the stands or uh, going and knocking the garbage can over by the, you know, by the uh, concession stand, but actually going out into the parking lot where there's no way the fans can possibly see you unless they, unless they follow you out there. <laughs> yeah. It just became a trend for a little bit, huh? Yeah, that's what it seems like. I'm glad it stopped. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay, you mentioned this one on an earlier episode. How was your time in TNA with Hulk Hogan and Eric Bischoff around that time? So we mentioned your first run in uh, TNA. And I know you talked about this before on like one of our first episodes that we did, uh, but any follow up to that of what it, your experience with Eric and and Hulk there? Um, I felt you know like those guys treated me like friends mm-hmm. mostly, and um, there wasn't a whole lot more to it than than that. You know, like I don't remember. Um, a whole lot of uh, business talk. I do remember one time Eric telling me that I had really stepped it up in my promos. He was like, I don't know what it is, but lately you've just been knocking them out of the park. I just started like shooting on everybody and doing like just straight up shoot promos. I guess I, maybe I turned heel. I don't know. It seems like in my mind, like maybe I turned heel because I remember you know, saying to Hulk Hogan, not everyone can make a living off doing one one move, Hulky, and threw the microphone at him. And, and I remember talking to Sting and saying, like, nobody knew who I was when I was on the undercard way back in. And I do remember that, you know, like thinking that, like, everyone's here in Indianapolis at the Speedway when I was in WCW in 92, 93, actually. Um, just the beginning of it to see everyone's there to see Sting and they're so excited to see the popular names on it and I just felt like man that must be so awesome to be that over uh, you know because I was still working to introduce myself every night and feeling like I deserved uh, more praise you know that's my ego was telling me like like wouldn't you rather see me backflips and spin kicks than woo woo <laughs> chop you know but I was like I was still trying to figure all that out, but I brought that up in the promos and I was having fun with it. I remember Eric telling me that. And then I also remember him saying one time that I always had such positive energy that I always seemed like I was in a good mood and rubbed off on people that way. And, you know, certain people tell me that and I remember it when they tell me that, because especially, especially when I, when I'm thinking like, wow, that's amazing because that's not how I feel. Yeah. <laughs> right it's like but you give that off that vibe and stuff like that and that uh yeah. and eric's very much like that too i've i've noticed when i've interacted with him he's got that he's very recognizable of that stuff so that's pretty cool he did mention that to you 
Yeah, yeah. Actually, uh, for a minute there, uh, Eric and Hulk were going to this spiritual church in LA and inviting me out there because we were all into just manifestation and the law of attraction, you know, from the secret. And, um, and one of those guys from the secret actually was a preacher at this church. One of the authors from it, um, I'm going to fuck his name up. So I don't, but, um, but anyway, that was like something we all had in common. Yeah. And one time I rode on an airplane with just me and Bischoff and Hulk. And that was in WWE. Um, I think it was WWE. Was it like 2002-ish? I think so. Okay. Yeah. I, don't, I really don't know. And, and I can't remember what it was for, but it was like, but we were all going from wherever we were in the middle of the country to, uh, to the Northeast. And then me and Hulk wrote it back and Eric wasn't coming back for some reason. There's a private little jet which i haven't been in too many times but i just don't remember exactly uh i think it was a press conference in savannah georgia maybe huh with dan masters there no that was a different one that was a different ride never mind oh okay while Heyman was on that flight Anyway, uh, it was cool working with them. You know, they, I think they treat me more like peers. Uh, yeah. I remember one time giving the knocks to Hulk, bam, and, and he was just like, Jesus. He was like, oh, man. He, he's like, Griff, I hate to work with you. You'd hurt me. And, and nailed him with my big bony cinder black hands, just bam. What's up, Hulk? Hey, brother. <laughs> hey, dude. <laughs> All right. I like it. I like it. Boy, that would have been the devil. If you teamed together, that would have been the thing to do right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would have been cool. All right. What is RBD's favorite New Jack story? Oh, favorite New Jack story. Um, well... A lot of people think that it's disrespectful to say anything about the past, but this is just the story and it was the way he was. So I don't think he would apologize if he was here. Um, he was mad at Brian Pillman. Remember in ECW, one time I, I, I carried Brian Pillman, I pushed him in a wheelchair out to the ring. Oh, okay. Yeah. Real early, must have been '97. I was still getting to know everybody. I I was new and young there, but um, Pillman got heat with New Jack. The way I understand it, Pillman got on the mic to do a promo and to get attention in the back there. And as I understand it, he used the N word um, and said uh, from NWA, you know, with attitude. So. That's the way I heard it, but I heard New Jack was really pissed. I didn't know about it while we're out there, whatever. Pillman was referencing the the rap group with Ice Ice Cube and Easy. He made he used that reference in a promo. Okay. Don't know what he was talking about or whatever. Don't even know for sure that's 
true, but that's the way that I was told. And um, when we went back to the dressing room, New Jack wanted to fight him. And I thought it was funny because dude's like in a wheelchair, like tied in. And he's like, his eyes are open, Brian's like he's waiting, you know, to see if he has to duck or move or whatever, waiting for the attack. And, and New Jack's up on his feet, you know, like, you know, very animated and people are holding him back you know it's come on motherfucker let's see and and it was like oh my god he's gonna fight him in a wheelchair and it was like it was a really tense moment right oh yeah yeah uh i didn't know that much about what was going on there but um pillman gets in an accident crushing the tree i guess that's what put him in the wheelchair anyway he he dies mm-hmm and uh, we're all in a um, hotel room, a um, bunch of us wrestlers, I believe at the Marriott in Philadelphia. Some of us that aren't normally in a room together. Sometimes that would happen. Different cliques sometimes would just end up, especially if there's a lot of us, um, and if someone had pizza or something. <laughs> but, <laughs> that brings everybody together. <laughs> yeah. The subject comes up because uh, Pillman had that was just news you know like someone had just heard like it was just news that day uh this is after the show at nighttime mm-hmm. and i'm in the room and uh, new jack's in the room and i really don't remember who else is in there i think louis in there i don't even know for sure um but they talk about pillman and it was obvious that new jack had a lot of animosity still for for this guy you know yeah. Because he said some things that I wasn't prepared to hear, you know, and uh, it kind of caught me off guard just because, like I said, you know, some people feel like you shouldn't talk disrespectfully about the dead. Some people feel like, you know, I personally, my ideology that I share with everybody now, there are no absolutes Mm -hmm. and everything is circumstantial. Everything is subjective. So I don't have any rules like that. But some people, you know, they'll just be like, my mom always said, don't let anybody talk bad about, you know, your family or whatever. You know, that's you got to apply shit in real life to learn that not there are no absolutes. Mm-hmm. But this was something that I wasn't uh, prepared to hear. And I didn't know my hadn't come to terms with my ideology yet, you know, that I would learn later in life through experience. But what I remember, someone brought up Pillman said that, you know, he died that day and everyone was just, we're down. We're just like, oh my God, that is so, you know, I didn't even know him super well, but he was a big star. He inspired me. He was flying Brian. He was one yeah. of the guys that, one of the guys that closed that gap, you know, between the 220 pound guys and, and, and the main eventers, you know? And anyway, New Jack out of nowhere goes, good. I hope he did die. I hope he died. If he didn't die, if he didn't die yet, then I hope he do die. And I hope he in the ground right now. And I hope worms are eating his eyeballs. And we're just all like, damn. It was just like silent awkwardness. And it was like, I think I feel offended. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> didn't really know how to react to it. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, that's my favorite New Jack story. You know, <laughs> nobody threw cuffs, nobody threw fists or, or anything, but he said what he wanted to say, and we all felt however we felt about it, you know, and it just kind of, like, passed. But um, I'll always remember that because 
you know, I use that to judge him and to make my opinion of uh, who the guy is. Yeah, yeah. Of course I did. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I know what you mentioned earlier, too, in this, uh, in a lot of, I may, might have been our first episode that he um, he punched uh, Junkyard Dog and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. He come up he on come me. Up. He, he come, come up, up on me. Yeah. <laughs> you ever see Sabu just say that to him? So he come up okay, on me. I will, I'll have to. I hope I get to see him. I'll say it to yeah. him. He come up on me. But you know what? That's me being a mark going, that's JYD. But in reality, you know, whatever their relationship it was, was different. it wasn't about JYD being the cartoon character that we loved. It was about something between them too, but I was out of the frame. So that's just like, when somebody didn't like my comments about Scott Hall on this, on my uh, RVDology. And I didn't even say anything really bad about him, you know? Oh, you said it on one of our episodes? Um, it was on my YouTube page. Oh, okay. Okay. And um, anyway, you know, those comments always stick out. You know, some people were like, hey, I don't care what it is, man. You don't say nothing disrespectful about a man. What's just going And I was like, you forget. To you, he's a, a another wrestler. To me, he was a peer, someone I worked with. It's just it. It's different. It's different relationship. But that's how it was with New Jack and Junker Dog, and I see that now. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We'll just do two more here. Okay. Marie asks, "What X Men character would you want to be? Were you a fan of the X Men?" <laughs> uh, sure. Sure. Um, I, thought, I love the movies. Oh yeah, I I loved the X Men always, but I, they weren't my favorites because they were everybody else's favorites. Everyone loved Wolverine, so I tended to, uh, you know, go towards Ghost Rider, yep. also Spider Man, and the Incredible Hulk. But the X Men were cool. I had some old twelve cent comics, probably still have them. Actually, I still I should see what comics I still have. I have several boxes. Oh shit! Yeah, just stuff I hold on to, but. Got rid of a lot of the superfluous stuff, the statues and a bunch of that crap. Uh, but now they're just in a closet boxes. But um, I don't know if I've thought about it before, but before you ask, I'm guessing maybe Nightcrawler. That's a good one. Yeah. Because all he, I, I kept thinking too, and in the movies, I know, he had to see where he was going to, to get there. So Which, was it, was it not that way in the comics? I think I, it was that way. I I was just mostly I became more familiar with him starting in the movies than I was because I grew up as a kid watching the cartoon and he wasn't really in the cartoon that much. I always pictured if I had the power of teleportation, it would require me seeing my destination as opposed to being like, I want to be in uh, Madrid. Yeah, I think that's the same for the I would imagine that's the same for the comics. But he was a fuck. That was that's a good choice. It's a really good choice. Yeah. I, I love the way they, they. I love the way they captured that in the movie. They made it look so badass. It was fucking yeah. It was awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. I grew up a huge X Men fan, so like Gambit was my favorite. Um, I'm trying to think. Obviously, Wolverine. People well, like. I was thinking you're going to ask me who my favorite is, but also I guess that's the answer to the question too. Maybe if yeah. I you know, would it be would it be Nightcrawler then? Uh. Yeah. Yeah. I want, right. to teleport. I want to be able to teleport, and I Would want to be, be okay with the blue skin and the, the devil tail. Yeah, man, I absolutely. 
Fantastic. <laughs> Fucking A. Cyclops would be a rough one because you have to, you can't open your eyes. You have to have the right. So Yeah, that's not worth it. Not with no. that. Not with no. that. I don't care if I have lasers. All right, last one here. Most people would say Wolverine. Yeah, and Wolverine would be one. For generations, to get to see your everyone that you love die over and over again. Right, you're living like 200 years. Like it hurts every time the bone, the claws come out. I don't want that. Uh, let's see. He's a troubled soul. Yes, he is a troubled soul. All right, let's go with this one then. Jake Paparolado says, I heard you mention having boxes of VHS tapes back in the day. You wouldn't happen to have the full entire show you talked about recently from Aruba in 1995, Eddie Mansfield, IWF, where you wrestled twice versus Dick Slater than a tag match with Marty Jannetty. <laughs> no, that's absolutely correct. Uh, that is what I said. That is what happened. But no, I don't. I've never seen that footage. So I, I've never owned it. No one's ever given me a copy of it. Um, YouTube so, Chris doesn't have it then? If, uh, we could ask him. We'll have to touch base with him. <laughs> By the way, I don't know if we talked about this, but people have often told me cagematch.com will have like everything. And I, I tried it once recently and it didn't have what I was looking for. So it's definitely not absolute. Not absolute. There are none. Not out there. Okay. I wanted to throw this one in before we ended it. I saw this picture. Uh, Jada asks, okay. But when you got the spinner belt, were you really excited to actually be the first one to spin the belt? Or did you realize it spin when you held the title in this moment? I need to know. Did you know <laughs> it spin, Rob? <laughs> yes, I did. Okay. I, I, I knew that it was referred to as the spinner belt. And uh, and I think I had seen Cena spin it. Didn't he, he spun it, right? Well, yeah, he spun it because yeah. it was on his waist. He, he had the United States title like that too before. So yeah, he set a precedent already. I can't believe how over that was. How much people love that. That's like the best <laughs> gift. Too, right? kids or whatever. <laughs> it became a classic. All right, Rob. It's time to wrap it up. Do you have an RVDology this week? I do. I All do. Right. And you know, I've been yeah, I've been enjoying the the feedback that I get more and more from either YouTube comments or people telling me when they see me at the signings or whatever uh it's great when people go out of their way to tell me like dude you don't know how much i needed that or that really helped me at a time when i needed it or anything like that man that goes so far with me because that's my intention that's how i'm inspired to do it is only by reaching people that could benefit from hearing it otherwise i'm wasting my time and i'd rather not do it Right. So, right. Yeah. Um, last week uh, we talked about. Uh, let's see, we were talking about uh, proud, uh, being proud, pride, and proud. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. So let me, let me. Uh, <clears throat> for anybody that wasn't here, I just like to sum it up. I was uh, last week. We were talking about uh, being proud and, and pride that's installed in you. And uh, my ideology is, you need to keep that in check. Um, I think it go, it gets way out of control. I think that, um, I mean, let's, everybody wants to be part of something positive. Everybody wants to join something and a group that's a winner. That's why we have pride over the stupidest things that we really shouldn't, you know? Yeah. I mean, get a group of people and say, hey, um, people whose name begin with the letter A are the best. Yeah. Yay. Cool. 
you know, like, really, what are you taking pride in? And what does that mean? So I was saying it should mean that you're at least as good as everyone else. Because if it means that you're better than everyone else and you're installing pride over every little fact that just happens to circumstantially be part of somebody's being, then you're really building that person up to, to be confused about their their perspective, their, their, their relationship with the universe, and, and really their status overall, because um, you, you don't have to be overly proud of everything, over stuff you didn't do. That's not saying you should be ashamed, and it's not just being proud and then and then being ashamed but it's like keep it in check and here's i I said this i said we're all biased in a way to where we think that our values our decisions are the best we always that's why every argument is like why did you go that way or why did you say that instead of this because you made a decision that i didn't make so it confuses me and if you don't believe me that you're biased let me put it to you in the most basic equation I can think of for the basic thinkers, okay? When it comes to survival, all right, there's just you, you're a fucking caveman, and, and there's another caveman, and you're the only two people on the planet. One of you is going to die. You're about to fight to death. Do you care who wins? You do. You do. Yeah. Survival is the first instinct for a basic thinkers. It's also our first bias, you know, is like whatever we're going to do to protect uh, our longevity and keep ourselves living. We're, we're going to do that. So that that's just on the, uh, on the basic level. Did, um, did any of that uh, pride happen to wreak its way into your week? It sure did. Um, so like this week I am after, as if people are hearing this on premier streaming network right now, today was my last day at inside the ropes. Um, I, yeah, so uh, na, 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 na. it ended positively, like okay. no negative terms or anything like that. It just things were changing for them, and uh, I had to move on, and so it, it makes sense. Uh, now I could take that from a pride aspect, it's like, oh man, that hurts to not no longer be there, not kind of aspect like, what is there something that that I caused to have that happen or for me to move on? Look at myself, look at myself in a certain way like that. But, and it can hurt, it can kind of hurt my pride at certain points, but it's also, you think about it, it's just like, that's the name of the game, especially in like the freelance writing business is like, things happen, things change and aspects change. And, you know, um, I, you don't, I don't necessarily look at it as like something that hurts my pride and me moving on to me knowing this as the week has gone on, like I still wanted to take pride in the work that I did and put it out through any articles that I wrote or anything like that. And so I kind of made that connection in a lot of ways, especially thinking about it today where I was like, wow, you know what, you know, I could have like just been like, well, screw this. I'm leaving. But no, I liked who I worked with. I liked, you know, my boss, I liked everything of, of the of the job and we ended on good terms and I wanted to make sure I ended on good terms. So cool. pride was a big aspect of it this week. So, yeah. Cool. Well, you should be proud of the way you handled that. Thanks, Rob. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so cool. cool. All right. Well, what do you got for us this week on RVDology? Um, I mentioned, you know, that uh, we we judge we judge all the time and you know 
there's an expression, it's a disclaimer, really, that a lot of people say, and it's, I don't judge, but really, everybody judges. If you say, I don't judge, I think maybe you mean, I'm not going to hold it against you. I'm not going to punish you for it by treating you any differently. But I don't judge. Of course you do, because... As I said, we're biased towards our own values. So when we hear that somebody else does something that's different than we do, we automatically judge them. It's like a, a, a self-operating brain mechanism that we don't even try to do. Um, you, you go by a dude um, on the sidewalk that says, uh, you know, hey, man, uh, you got five bucks so I can get some gas? And you look at him, it looks like he hasn't changed his clothes in days. I mean, you can tell yourself that you're not judging that person to try to feel better about yourself. But I feel like it's superficial. At least that's my um, ideology on this on this whole subject is I come to terms with uh, I do judge. We all judge. And that's normal. It's normal to judge. But we judge on sets an inner level um place that we don't have to share it unless we're like stupidly overly honest like me and feel like sharing the deepest uh, thoughts when they're coming together because I like to share insight but um, uh, opinions um, everyone's opinions we're, we're gonna judge you know are you telling me like uh, I, I don't judge really so even if you hear like hey uh, my cousin's going along on the trip with us uh, you know, I hope you don't mind, but uh, he's a child molester. You're going to say, oh, oh, no, I don't judge. <laughs> I doubt it. He's, he's a, you know, he, he's a murderer and a, and a, um, and uh, he does, uh, he, he likes to shoot meth like uh, around the clock, you know, so mostly, mostly he won't be much of a problem. But no, you're going to judge. Um, the further it is away from your decisions, and your choices, the more you're going to judge. And doesn't mean that you're going to find them, criminalize them, uh, anything like that. But in the court of your mind, if you hear anything, if you hear um, uh, so-and-so was um, a bully at school and um, got in trouble for bullying at school, you might automatically in the court in your mind judge that person like oh that person's a bully but it's only the court of your mind so don't give it too much because you don't know all the facts the case hasn't been presented there's been no trial um you don't know there's uh maybe she just used some certain words and they uh they define that as bullying i don't know i know when i was a kid we said all kinds of stupid, whatever was hurtful stuff, you know, make fun of the really poor kids for being poor. Ah, oh, you can't even take a bath. You gotta go to the Y Center. That's not really that funny now as an adult. Um, but as a, as kids, you know, you, you, you do stupid things like that. But 
you know what? I was also judging them. I was judging them for being poor. So the older that I've gotten, the more I'm alive, the more experienced I am, and the more that I share my ideology with everybody, I can be comfortable saying that's something to just get a grip on. You know, don't don't tell yourself that you don't judge. I mean, come on, the your neighbor wants to borrow your phone. You know, you never you never met this motherfucker before. He looks shady as fuck. What are you gonna do? You're gonna say, Oh, I don't I don't judge. Here you go. You know, <laughs> Um, we judge what you do with that judgment. Now that's up to you. Damn, that's a whole nother subject, but you do make a, a judgment. Um, sometimes you're afraid that you're being judged when you're being asked a question. And so you don't even answer the right question. You answer something else because you think you're being judged uh, for it. You know what I mean? Um, Say a question is, I don't know, just trying to think of an example. Say someone asks, like, um, are you gonna are you gonna wear those shoes tonight? And the person automatically it thinks they're being judged. So instead of saying yes or no, they're gonna wear those shoes, they're like, they're the only ones I have. Or or they're like, all my other shoes are out or whatever. Whoa, whoa. I just wanted to know if you were bringing those because if you're bringing them, I'll pack them. You know what I mean? Like totally like you have a different meaning now because you're, you're afraid that you're going to be, you're being judged by the question and you're trying to find the intention and the meaning of the question based on being judged. And really you might not even be, that's an example of not having um, uh, all the information, you know, um, were you there last night? Simple question. I just, I'm just curious if you were there last night. Maybe I want to know because I'm going to ask you if you saw so-and-so, whatever. But then if you're like, what was I supposed to do? Wait around for you all night? Boom, boom, boom. Hey, hey. That's being afraid of being judged. That's extra sensitivity to being judged. When in fact, you got to be open. Katie and I have a rule, pretty much, pretty much an unwritten rule. No question is too stupid. <laughs> she can and, and and you know if i if every, either one of us either makes fun of the other one that's just say hey we can ask anything and then it's like oh yeah you're right um and and i don't have to i don't judge like why she's asking me for you know say i'm on my on my phone or whatever and um and, and she can't see what i'm looking at on my phone i'm sliding through and she says this is an example but say if she, if she were to say you know like what are you looking at like i wouldn't automatically be like oh, she doesn't trust me, you know, like she thinks that I'm looking at other, but, you know, I've been in other relationships where there's no trust and that would be behind every single thing that was said. So I get where you can like, you can like feed into that, that vibe, but it's, it's one of those things where, as I always say, it's best to have no expectations. You know, as she says, uh, what are you looking at? Boom. I'll just show her, you know, look at these baby otters or, or whatever it is. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, and then you know, thereby removing suspicion, but also keeping the floor open so that we don't ever have to feel funny about asking any kinds of questions for whatever reason. We don't have to worry about being uh, prejudged with our answers. We can just be open about it, and and that's important to me. You know, um, you don't know all the facts. It's not a, a real case. Like I said earlier, when New Jack said, "I hope, I hope he buried right now, and I hope worms eating his eyeballs." I absolutely judged him. I didn't know him that well. That was one of the only times it, up to that point for sure that I'd been alone with him and stuff. So, of course, that was almost my entire opinion based on that. That and the new 
what's that that transit incident whatever they called it at the gray oh, transit like, or the yeah mm-hmm. there was that you know which i was in the dressing room then and he was screaming in the dressing room afterwards good i hope he die i hope he die about a kid that he had just gaffed you know um i judged him by that too so i'm not gonna lie i did judge him you know um in the end in the big picture I also judged him on some other things because I got to uh, talk to him, got to know him, hang out with him a few times, see him on a different level and, uh, you know, uh, communicate uh, as a peer in the same industry. And so I use a lot of that to judge him on as well. And a lot of that offsets some of the thoughts that I had put in my mind before or that I had allowed in my mind before um, mistake or not. You know, but you never have the whole information. You never have the whole big picture. You, you, there's always more that you don't know. You always know a lot less than there is to know about everything and everyone. And, you know, keep all that in mind. And when it comes to judging, uh, dude, you judge. If you want to keep your judgments to yourself, I'm cool with that. But between you and I, we all judge. 100% we do, you know. Um, and that, that's almost like an instinctual thing that happens in a lot of ways. Cause you just see something and then, okay, that's how I feel about it. But I think it's another layer of thinking about it being like, well, I just don't know whole, the whole picture of this situation or that person or whatever it may be. And like, I'm getting, I'm making this judgment based on maybe what somebody else is saying, or just under this kind of first impression aspect of it too. So it's like, definitely be cognizant of that, yeah. Keep it in check. Don't be so quick to throw the gavel down on your judgment. Mm-hmm. But, but be aware, you know, that it's not a bad thing to, to, to judge somebody. You get your opinion on them. To hold that judgment against them, well, that's circumstantial and subjective, just like everything else. Right, and you said it mentioned like a, somebody like a bully. Oh, this guy was a bully? This person was a bully? Well, heck, like, when were they a bully with that in high school? They could have totally changed at that point in time, you know? It's like, you can't just go by some of that stuff sometimes, you know? Word um, word up, man. So cool. Guys, if you like what you're seeing, you can check it out early on the Premier Streaming Network every Friday at 4.20 p.m. But you can check us out anywhere, anytime, starting Monday at 4.20 p.m. too. That's when it drops on the podcast feed. If you guys like what you're hearing, Give us some ratings on, uh, I never plug this, so give us some ratings on iTunes, on Apple iTunes. Uh, write a good review for us if you like what you're hearing. Uh, check us out on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. but you can get the clips up at rvdpod.com. Uh, like and comment on there. Uh, share with your friends. Share with your enemies. Do it all you can. Um, share with people you meet over the next week. People you meet, even if they're non-wrestling fans, say, hey, we got a good guy on here. He's a pro wrestler, and he... Gives us some good advice. It's Rob Van Dam. Let's talk talk about uh, doing a live show pretty soon because my YouTube page has over the goal of 30,000. Oh, so we're over 30,000 now. Nice. Yeah. So yeah. Let's uh, talk about that real soon. Yes. We'll have to definitely do that. So you can follow Rob there at The Real (laughs) RVD. You can follow me at Dominic D'Angelo. And hey, guys, thanks for joining us this week. It's been a fun one. Episode 22 is in the books. I can't wait to see it. It's episode 23 next week, Rob. Boom. Boom. Thanks, Tom. Talk to you next week. Heck yeah. See you guys next week. Excellent. I was waiting for some.